Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week we have a Mark Hamill, John Carpenter double feature with Body Bags and Village of the Damned. That's Luke Skywalker and the guy behind Big Trouble in Little China. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I don't recognize the name, and I'm choosing not to look it up, so... I know, I know, Ian Shearer. No, 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 hold on. <laughs> Fuck, god damn it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, come up with a clever way to segue right into the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. The door was cracked. I was trying to get down there. Good lord, chaos at Noah's house. You notice there's a lot of chaos at Noah's house, and there's rarely chaos at any of the other houses. I'm trapped in the tiny black room. Shut up. Well, now that you're done yelling at your cats, do you want to uh, tell everybody about uh, body bags? Uh, sure. That's totally what we're using as a segue. <laughs> it's just you yelling at your cats <laughs> going into the show. They keep trying to get in the basement. <laughs> uh, so, Body Bags is obviously it's a anthology series, um, not not just involving John Carpenter, but we have John Carpenter as uh, the Crypt Keeper esque mortician guy, who he's pretty fucking funny. I dig it. I think he's surprisingly good in the role. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think he's. he's- surprisingly natural in the role and I think that's just what John Carpenter's like but yeah yeah I mean he's trying to channel that tales from the crypt vibe and I think he does it pretty good mm-hmm. uh, we have several stories of which hopefully I can remember all of them uh, <laughs> we've got a, a guy going bald and he wants some hair he gets some alien worm hair doesn't work out too well for it <laughs> Mark Hamill gets an eye. It's an evil eye. Doesn't work out too. It was it the chick at the gas station. She gets a job. It turned out to be an evil job. Is Noah gone? No. I think Noah's, I think Noah's gone. gone. She gets. Maybe we lost him. Did I just fucking drop out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. God fucking damn it. Last I heard was Mark Hamill got an eye. It turned out to be an evil eye. 
Yeah. And then it was silence, oh. to which then I said, is that other girl get a job and it turned out to be an evil job? And then silence after that, too. Oh, oh man, my internet's really dragging. Hopefully this doesn't suck. No, I was going to say, he gets an evil eye. It doesn't work out too well for him. Then a chick gets an overnight job at a gas station, and it doesn't work out too well for her. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, she gets menaced by Robert Carradine. <laughs> And even if he wasn't a psycho murderer, it would still be fucking weird being menaced by Robert Carradine. <laughs> uh, yeah, she gets menaced by Robert Carradine and Wes Craven. Yeah, she does get sexually harassed by Wes Craven early on. We're like, we're like ten minutes into the movie when Wes Craven is sexually harassing this girl, and I'm like, what? That's odd. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I remembered that he was in this, but I hadn't seen it in a while, and I'm like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> He's a creepy, like, drunk old professor guy that hits on this girl who's try- just trying to sell him gas. I like I like the gas station one a lot. I think... I think that one's my, my favorite. I think my biggest complaint is it relies way too heavy on the fact that a viewer would have to understand that one of those overnight jobs is just innately terrifying in a weird way. Because <laughs> you feel so isolated and shit. Yeah. I think they do a good enough job of establishing that early. Like they mm-hmm. have they have her show up to this job and they they make it very clear that she has to be dropped off there and that she's going to be in this booth by herself all night and if she leaves she can't get back in without the keys and all that kind of stuff that I think they do like a really good job of taking it. But it's basically just a slasher movie and compressing it into a short film instead of one longer movie. Yeah. I don't like the fact that they fall into the trope of, of course, the one character who didn't seem menacing is the one who's actually dangerous. Yeah, but when, in an anthology, you have to rely on tropes, right? You, that's how you tell a story, is by letting us, we all know what to expect, and therefore you don't have to spend as much time establishing it. Yeah, and plus, uh, uh, American Werewolf in London wasn't menacing either. Yeah. So, haha! So there were two non-menacing characters. Uh, <laughs> I have to Although, tell you that I thought American Werewolf in London was so non-menacing that I assumed he was the killer because, again, I hadn't seen this in a while and I kind of forgot. Although the ultimate twist would have been if he turns into a werewolf to save her. Ooh, that would have been fun. Because they already throw in through the radio. Apparently, they. This gas station is located close to Haddonfield. Yeah. So thus, this story takes place in the Halloween universe. Which Halloween universe? Who knows? It's not important. Oh, judging by the fact that Robert Carradine's in it, my guess is five or six. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're probably right. (laughs) Don't don't get me wrong. I love Robert Carradine, but. uh... You never, you never see a big billboard that's like starring Robert Carradine this summer. <laughs> but I actually, I actually thought he was, a, he was a good like uh, slasher, though. He did, he did a really good job of being like that friendly, likable guy, but he still seemed a little weird. Mm-hmm. And then when he when the twist comes, you're like, oh yeah, of course it's that guy. And he does a good job of being the stalker when he's just. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I think, goes to the direction of it because they do a lot of having like the 
the girl, who's, I mean, she's the final girl, but she's also the only girl, in the uh, foreground, and they have him in the background. And it, I think it's handled really well, where they've got her, like, every time she thinks she's safe, she, like, kind of pauses, and then he's in the background, and you see him moving around, which is something, like, that's taken from Halloween. Halloween did that a lot. But, you know, again, you're, you're relying on tropes because of the, because of your trying to tell the story in a short period so i think it worked really well it was shot really well the gore was really good i thought with the exception of the last blood splat was a little kind of 70s orange bloody instead of quality 80s 90s red blood yeah but i kind of i kind of enjoy that fake ass 70s blood every once in a while <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it didn't it certainly didn't ruin it for me because it's not like a real serious story. It's a lighthearted slasher tale, right? So, yeah, okay, the blood looks a little fake, but I just love the fact that you said the fact it's a lighthearted slasher. Yeah, it's just a nice, it's just a nice whimsical tale of axe murder. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I. I actually like Robert Carradine's portrayal because he doesn't really change his mood at all. He just suddenly has a machete and a sledgehammer in his hand. Yeah. And it's coming at her saying the same same in the same tone of shit that he was talk, telling her about when she showed up. Yeah. But that's the thing is that's that's what's great about the performance is he's both creepy and likable at the same time. So in the beginning, you're kind of like, okay, the likable takes a little bit of the foreground because you think he's a good guy character. Uh, and also, he doesn't have a machete yet. So you're like, okay, he's just a little weird, but he's the guy that works at the gas station and turns over the keys to the night girl. You don't expect the highest quality individual for that. Um, maybe he's just a little socially awkward. And then when he pulls out this machete, you're like, oh, no, it was uh, a little bit more heavy on the weirdness than we expected. <laughs> Not only is he a murderer, but he killed Sam Raimi, the son of a bitch. And stole his clothes. A lot of a lot of cameos in this one. Oh yeah. Yep. This was this was John Carpenter just calling people up like, "Hey, you want to fuck around for the weekend?" Well, this whole movie was that, right? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> this is like, I mean, when you go through the names involved in this, like, it's it's pretty funny. Who do we got? Noah, list them off. Oh fuck me. <laughs> okay. Well, we got. We got Wes Craven, as we mentioned. Yep. We got uh... Sam Raimi plays a dead body. <laughs> so they, <Yep. laughs> little did they know this is '93, so he wasn't quite the big name Sam Raimi yet. But he's by the mid 2000s, he's one of the biggest directors in the world, and here he's cameoing as a dead body. They open a closet, he falls out. <laughs> uh, David Naughton, like we just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got what. Stacy Keach in the second one, but I mean that's not really a cameo. Yeah. Uh, not, not really many cameos in that one. No, once we get past this yeah, first one, it starts being. Should we mention that? What? Tom, is it a spoiler to mention that Tom Arnold shows up at the end? <laughs> no, Tom Arnold and Toby Hooper. Yep. Right. So they uh, they work right. at the morgue. Trying to decide which one of those guys is the worst actor is the hardest part of discussing this movie. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Roger Corman plays a doctor in the third movie or in yeah. the third segment. Yeah, so that literally was. Hey, you're a horror director. You want to come just hang out? Yep. 
Uh, what about the second story? How do we feel about Stacy Keach getting alien worms in his head? So, for the most part, I really dig this one. The only complaint I have is in a... Uh, it's a it, I mean, we can all say this is a low-budget movie, because it's it's definitely mm. low-budget for the, the people involved. Yeah. But, yeah, it was set up as a pilot for an anthology series. Yeah, I think all of the special effects in this entire movie are... are either fair to good and then you have like the weird little CGI hair worms in this one that just every time we see them like ninety CGI like oh I, I, I actually have to push back a little bit on that and say no I think they look a lot better than most CGI at the time would have. Which I will agree with. Like I, I think they're they look really good, especially for a made for T V movie in the nineties. I mean I yeah, just, they don't look as good as what you would get if you were doing it today, but I don't think they look bad at all. Yeah, um, see, I just, I think they kind of like, every time you see them, you're like, okay, well, that's not terrifying. That's just fucking goofy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I feel like the whole story is kind of goofy, so it doesn't Yeah, bother uh, me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Stacy Keach has the same haircut as the bad guy from The Crow through much of this. I mean, you can't expect us not to laugh a little bit while you watch it. So I don't think it's going to be taken too serious. He ends up with beautiful Samson hair. That's what we know. (laughs) Made me jealous. The the whole thing, I I like the premise. I like the idea of them playing off of, like, that real male insecurity that comes along with balding, which, like, yeah, it's a real thing. Every guy that starts to go bald, no matter how much they pretend it doesn't bother them, it does. <laughs> and I, I love the fact that he keeps combing his like hair differently and stuff at the beginning. But what I like the most about it is when he finally goes to like the doctor to get the hair done, he's got his hair combed in a way that it really doesn't look that bad. <laughs> like it's <laughs> if you're not if you if you hadn't already been told that this was a balding character, you probably wouldn't notice that he's a balding character at that point. Right. <laughs> so I, I do like I do like the weirdly fucked up thing of, of course, the positive character in the movie is his girlfriend who keeps, you know, trying to tell him, like, you know, all you have to do is quit worrying about it. Like, you're a good looking guy and confidence makes you, you know, doing the whole confidence makes you sexy thing. But then, of course, whenever he gets hair and she shows up, she's like, oh, you've got hair. I can fuck you now. (laughs) (laughs) Which means he was 100% correct. Like, (laughs) What's hilarious, too, is it's like he's still Stacy Keach. He's still got that mustache. He's still got a pot belly. He's still 20 years older than that girl. (laughs) But for some reason, the hair is all that matters. Uh, And I like later that... uh... She turns out to be the big insecure one. Which right. After he's got the hair, she keeps thinking he's like cheating on her. And he's like, I'm not cheating on you. Like, I'm, I'm, you're being ridiculous. Like, over the phone, like, multiple times. Well, yeah, because he's just like, he's sick because he's got these alien things living in his head. And he's like, she just won't accept the fact that he just wants to stay home and sleep. She thinks a guy with hair like that would just want to fuck me all night long, <laughs> regardless of how bad he's feeling. And she's like, "Who's there? Who else is there?" I love the fact that, like, as as he gets gross, I get what they were going for, you know, with the hair growing out of his face. But it really just looks like he's growing parasitic alien mutton chops. <laughs> what I loved about the whole thing is, I, 
I know that this wasn't an intentional joke. It was just the fact that that's what he looks like. But all this weird hair is growing, and the mustache just stays the same length in the middle the whole time. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it's just because there's a few close-ups on his face, and you're like, that mustache has been recently trimmed, and nothing else on his face has. I could, I could imagine because Stacey Cage would be like, don't fucking touch my mustache. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the interest of fairness, there are movies with budgets big enough that you either grow a mustache or shave a mustache. And then there's movies that, you know, I'm only on set for a couple of days and I need this mustache. I'm not about to shave it. Right. <laughs> uh, they could have gave a mustache extension, though. They could have done that. They could have made the mustache grow more. But it, it stands to reason the logic being that these things are implanted in your head when you go to see this doctor that they wouldn't have implanted him on his upper lip because that would have just yeah. seemed awkward to everyone. He'd be saying like, hey, why are you touching my upper lip? <laughs> well, it just works better. It's like yeah. Stacey Keisha's mustache is unaffected by these alien <laughs> parasites. <laughs> I mean, the implication is that these aliens will eventually take over the world by simply playing off humans' natural insecurities. <laughs> But the one thing that will remain is Stacy Keach's mustache. <laughs> it, it will survive. Just like cockroaches after a nuclear uh, explosion will survive, Stacy Keach's mustache will be able to, there to fight off the last couple of aliens. Yeah, the three mustaches you don't mess with. Stacy Keach, Tom Atkins, Tom Selleck. Yep. Sam Harris? What? What's his face? Cowboy guy? Sam Elliott? Is that his name? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just figured that was a given. That's why I didn't even bring it up. <laughs> his mustache is different. I'm pretty sure his mustache crawls off of his face and goes drinking at night and picks fights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also pretty sure he was born with that mustache. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and it might have been, been white at the time. <laughs> I've seen him in a couple of things where he's shaved, completely shaved, bald. Like, his, I mean, like, sh clean shaven. Weird. It's kind of weird. I don't think I'd even know what he looked like. Yeah, he was on uh, the last season of Justified, and he didn't have his mustache. And I was no. like, oh, like, you're still well, a very handsome man, but something's just wrong. And uh, callback wasn't young Sam, uh, mustachio-less Sam Elliott in Frogs. Uh, seems right. That was a long time ago. Anyways, we've drifted off. We're not supposed to just be discussing mustaches, and I know we're discussing them when we get to the next story. So <laughs> I will say, so they're, they're trying to get away from mustaches and back to the show, which is very difficult. Uh, I will say my biggest complaint about this part of the movie is while the other stories in the wraparound are all very uh, Tales from the Crypt, this one is very Tales from the Dark Side and or The Outer Limits, if that makes sense, in its tone and the way the story plays out. Sure. I can see that, yeah. I think it's... I mean, they're trying to do something a little different with each story. Um, well, also, I believe this one was directed by Toby Hooper. I can't remember who directed which one. I'm trying to look it up right now. Well, that's just going to slow everything down to a... No, I I, I got to say, I think the tone of this story really worked. I think it 
having Stacy Keach in there, he can deliver those ridiculous lines of dialogue with that authenticity. So it's like you think that that character believes everything he's saying, even though what he's saying is objectively crazy. And that adds that little bit of camp to the story that makes us all not take it too seriously. Because if you took this story too seriously, you might find the, the minor plot holes in it. Um, so I, th- I think it, I think the tone works. I think it, again, it allows them to kind of skip along in the story really quickly. And you do a couple of ridiculous scenes and then you just move on. You just, you know, it starts with him just trying to comb his hair. Then he has to go see that John Bon Jovi impersonator to get it restyled. And then he's right away off to a doctor he saw on TV. The weird scalp paint. John Carpenter did, in fact, direct this segment. It's the last segment that Toby Hooper did. Okay. And I'm not that surprised to hear that John Carpenter did this, because John Carpenter likes to have that camp to his horror, even when it's meant to be legitimately scary. And it's, it's kind of his style. Um, very rarely does he do things like Halloween or the thing that are deadpan serious without adding in that sort of lightheartedness, especially by the 90s. Hmm. Um, all right. So what do we think of the last segment, which brings together our theme for this week, which is John Carpenter working together with Mark Hamill. It's just, just a very natural theme that no one should ever question. Exactly. Um, well, I, mean, I, I dig it. Yeah, I, I think, again, I think the same thing I was saying about Stacey Keach all applies to Mark Hamill. I think he comes with a natural amount of camp that suits what they're going for in this movie perfectly. I think, you know what I mean? If you put in a much more serious actor into that role or somebody I shouldn't even say serious actor because I don't want to be dismissive of Mark Hamill but somebody who has a little bit more of a serious atmosphere to them I think that maybe they would just uh, this wouldn't this wouldn't hold up if it was meant to be taken 100% seriously because it is kind of a fun tale I think it works a lot better on that level yeah I would say my only complaint about it is that it's a pretty unoriginal. I mean, it's pretty much they stole the plot right from uh, Body Parts, which I think came out about two years before this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a new story to say a guy gets a transplant. It yeah. turns out the body part he got was from a killer, and now he becomes a killer. I mean, that's that's not a new story. It probably wasn't new when Body Parts came out either. Um, but Anytime you have these anthologies, you have stories that hit. Again, I, I've said this for like all three now. <laughs> you, you hit these tropes because it's a good way to just bring people in quickly to tell them a, a short story. And I, it doesn't bother me that it's unoriginal as long as it's executed well because it's only 20 minutes long or whatever. Yeah. And I think this one, it's pretty much just carried on Mark Hamill's delivery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it, really, that's that's enough. His, his nice southern accent that he's got going on. Yep. We should mention Mark Hamill playing a professional baseball player. Mm-hmm. So 1993 Mark Hamill, how old would he have been? <laughs> Probably a little old to be a professional minor league baseball player, but whatever. <laughs> Probably I mean, in his again, 30s. Yeah, that's, 
that's my meta knowledge putting that in there though i don't think he comes across as that old i was gonna say and then the only weird thing mustachioed mark hamill i'm just not down with mustache mark hamill <laughs> weird uh I, I got to push back a little bit and just say that, that this was his serious phase. This is when Mark Hamill was trying to get away from the Luke Skywalker persona. And mm-hmm. the best way to differentiate yourself from previous roles is to just grow a mustache that you did not have previously. So, I mean, it, there was no option. Had this been like a two years later, he probably would have gone goatee. But it was 93. Mustache Mark, was Hamm- thing. Mark Hamill was 42 at the time that he was playing this. At the time? Yes. He seems like he's in his 20s. He was born in 51. Jesus. He is, wow. a, he is a baby-faced motherfucker. Yeah. No, I mean... And, and and you know what? Like, that's good Good for him. I guess that makes complete sense now that I'm thinking about how old he was when he, with Star Wars and stuff. But 42, he does not look 42 in this movie at all. No. What's funny is I was thinking that like the woman who plays his wife looks quite a bit older than him, but she doesn't seem too old to be with a forty-two-year-old man. <laughs> like knowing that he's forty-two, yeah, it seems perfectly rational. Um, yeah, I'm I'm taken aback by that. She's actually two years older than him in real life. Okay, but forty-four and forty-two is pretty reasonable, right? Yeah, totally. It actually yeah. explains a lot about his character if you assume that he is 42, because when the other guys are all like, you want to go back out for uh, you want to go for beers and stuff, and he's like, no, I just want to go home. But yeah, at 42, you're like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they're all like, they're thinking, oh, this might be your year, man. The scouts are going to come. Finally, you're going to get called up. He's all, he This whole time, he's just like, nah, it's probably not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not really thinking about it. Been playing baseball for twenty years. <laughs> it is baseball, so you never know. It's not like it's a real sport, like one where you have to be athletic. <laughs> there's, there's there's not many other sports leagues with so many overweight, out of shape dudes that are playing in the pros. <laughs> Especially nineties baseball. Um, I had a point. I I got lost. What did you guys think about the gore in this segment? Because I, I thought it worked really well. I've, I have a thing when it, you go after people's eyes. And so, I mean, Mark Hamill gets stabbed in the face twice by various <laughs> objects that go right into his eyeball. And I thought those were both handled very yeah. well. The always, surgery segment's pretty freaky deaky. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that the car wreck where he, like, turns and has glass sticking out of his eye, I thought was yeah. or a branch or whatever it is, was always kind of fucked up still yeah. is it's a little cheesy the way it's shot where he like the other guys the the people come to the door to like see him and they're like he turns and looks at them and they're like ah it's like <laughs> it's like all right we get it dramatic effect <laughs> um i thought i had a point to make about this segment but i don't remember I liked so, the uh, good job, Markin. I liked the parts where he was like looking at the window and seeing himself digging and stuff. I thought that stuff worked. But reminded me of uh, Stir of Echoes, which came mm. up obviously after this. But yeah, thought that all kind of was neat. <coughs> good lord. 
Yeah, I will say one thing. I've seen this before, and mm-hmm. I don't think I appreciated it as much the first time I watched it. Because, you know, the, the problem with horror anthologies is there are a couple horror anthologies that are so fucking good. <laughs> See, I think this belongs mm-hmm. in the discussion with the very, very good ones, though. Yeah. Like, I think no, this I think is... This is on level with your creep shows and stuff like that. Well, that's going a bit far. <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, it's made in a slightly different era, so it's it, at a faster speed than a creep show would. But I, I think it's... Individually, I think all the stories are as good as, as creep show or creep show 2. Hmm. I'll give you a creep show too. I still don't know about creep show. Yeah. Creep show's real fucking good. Creep show's like, I mean, if not the top of the list, then very near the top of the list. Oh, I I, I agree. <clears throat> I'm not arguing that point. I'm saying I think this belongs in the discussion yeah. as well. Sure. I, I can't it's hard for me to think of horror anthologies that I like a lot. That it, I wouldn't even say that like necessarily are like objectively better, but that just I enjoy sitting down and watching. This is right up there because it is pretty quick paced. The John Carpenter stuff in between is genuinely funny in that weird campy way that John Carpenter knows how to be funny. That's sort of like, I'm going to make a really bad joke right now and I'm going to stare into the camera the whole time I'm doing it. So you have to know that I know it's a bad joke. (laughs) Like almost like, fuck you. You have to listen to this if you want to hear the next story. (laughs) Um, You know, I like that a lot. So, and the cameos make it extra fun. Yeah, yeah. You, start, you start watching for them because so many of them are piled up at the beginning that you start watching for them throughout the other stories. Uh, I was going to mention uh, <laughs> uh, a very uh, sort of, we'll say, religious Mark Hamill in this movie, which will yeah. all transfer over to the next movie as well. I forgot that he was all like super religious, like reading from the Bible and all that nonsense in this movie. Yeah. And then when I got to the next movie, I was like, oh, that's right. This has like a, a third theme that we, we didn't even realize. <laughs> Sometimes we do that. Uh, anything else before we move on? Uh, no. Like I said, like I said, I think. As, as far as wraparounds go in these things, mm-hmm. I would argue this one might have the best wraparound of any anthology series. Because, <laughs> man, I really like the John Carpenter stuff. I agree. Yeah, I he, agree. Does, he does a great job, as Doug said. He's very natural. And then uh, the first time I saw it, like the idea that, like, at the end of it, he's, the end of it, he's like, oh. People are coming. Well, see you later. And then, like, climbs into a body bag. And turns out he's just one of the bodies hanging out. I thought it was interesting. I like the part where, and they start autopsying him, and you see him kind of like look over at the camera, like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's the appropriate reaction if Tom Arnold wants to cut into you. Especially 1995, Tom Arnold. So much cocaine in that head at that point. That's a valid point. 
as if there's a version of Tom Arnold that I want having doing surgery on me. <laughs> it's not the cocaine that's the problem there. Recommend. I might have to pick this one up after the second watch. Well, you know, Screen Factory has a very nice Blu-ray out. I have seen the cover for it. Yeah. You can stream it for free in lots of different places. I don't know if you can spend money on it, but I support people spending money on it so that it'll stay in the mainstream because it yeah. deserves the attention. Gotta have it in your library. I gotta tell you, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think I'm just a huge fan of this movie. and I, I just think it's shockingly good considering it was like meant as a pilot for a series and stuff mm-hmm. and it's, i don't know who made it was it like hbo or somebody showtime showtime okay because yeah. it's obviously not like network television it's with the level and stuff but no not with uh jokes such as him trying to open a cadaver drawer and the lady inside has giant fake boobs so the drawer won't open who apparently he called up his friend Ron Jeremy and Ron Jeremy suggested an actress just for that scene. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize that was a real person. I just thought it was some kind of dummy. That's hilarious. You couldn't tell that that was a real teat. <laughs> Those were clearly not real. Anyways. You know what I mean. It was not encased in flesh. The nice silicone center. Yeah. Look at the Terminator of boobs. I do like I just I just like the fact that instead of going uh like a lot of these shows go in the same direction like even Tales from the Crypt goes in more of a whimsical horror direction with their you know with the Crypt Keeper and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh this one almost just goes fucking sleazy. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, they were definitely playing up that angle of like kind of grindhousey, kind of a you know exploitation type, but for on a television level. So yeah. maybe that's why I like it so much. Yeah, from what I remember, I don't think John Carpenter was too upset that this didn't get picked up because he really did not want to do the wraparound stuff, even though he's so good at it. But he's just I don't know, he doesn't like acting, so. He was just kind of like, eh, oh, well, it is what it is. At least we got a movie out of it. Well, that's really kind of strange to me that he would be this good at it and do it for the movie and not want to do it on a regular basis. Mm. I'm sure if they had backed that dump truck full of money up to do the series, he probably would have done it. And yeah. by dump trunk full of money, I said, I mean, like, 90s cable, cable money. <laughs> <laughs> not very much. Nineties cable money, which might or might not be more than any one of us makes in a year at this point. <laughs> uh, but you know, they they might have made some promises too. He could have got some other projects off the ground or whatever. Mm. We could see that happening. Yeah, you never know. But anyways, I I'm actually disappointed that this didn't get more episodes because I think I would have enjoyed watching it. Yeah, like mm, at least like a season would have been good. Yeah, I mean, who this knows? is one of those. This is one of those movies you couldn't find unless you picked up a bootleg at a convention for a long time. Yeah, and uh, finally, Screen Factory announced they were putting it out, and I was like, "Yes, well, you, finally!" It's again, it's available for free on lots of streaming services, so you know, not <laughs> hard to find it nowadays. 
Yeah, but yeah. special features. Fair enough. Because mm-hmm. if you can just get interviews with everybody who has a cameo in the movie, that's enough to buy a Discord. <laughs> Jesus. The most discombobulated ass fucking commentary track ever. Jesus. <laughs> I don't even think I'd want to hear that. It's like, should you be drunk if you watch this with the commentary track on? Because seems like it'd make it easier to follow. <laughs> I just listened to Toby Hoover and uh, John Carpenter talk for two hours and I don't I don't know what the fuck just happened. <laughs> All right. Well, if you do pick up the Blu-ray, what you get is interviews with John Carpenter, uh, producer Sandy King, and actors Stacey Keach, Robert Carradine, and Mark Hamill. Nice. Awesome. That's all the ones I would want to hear from. Audio commentary with director John Carpenter and actor Robert Carradine on The Gas Station. Uh, Commentary with John Carpenter and Stacey Keach on Hair. Nice. And audio commentary with director Toby Hooper and Mark Hamill on I. See? Sounds like good stuff. Hang on, I gotta go add that to my Christmas list, I guess. <laughs> uh, it is currently $30 on Amazon, though. Oh, yeah, I'm not paying for it. I, like I say, somebody else could buy me that. <laughs> Wish list! Uh... All right. Well, another Scream Factory favorite, Village of the Damned. Doug, why don't you tell us what that's about? Um, There's this little village where Superman and Luke Skywalker live. And And one chick from Cheers. Yeah. And the lady from Crocodile Dundee. Mm -hmm. They all live in the same town, which already, I mean, okay, so we're all going to recommend the movie. We'll just say that in front (laughs) because there's no chance of that not happening. But. Uh, there's some weird event happens in the town where everybody passes out for a period of time. And when they all wake up, they realize that many of the women in town are impregnated, and all the pregnancies trace back to that time frame where everybody was unconscious. A little weird and rapey. Um, babies are all born simultaneously. One of them is possibly stillborn, but we see the lady from Cheers run it out to a truck, so we don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, as the kids grow up, they all start to wear matching wigs, and they <laughs> uh, gradually start to show having weird powers. It starts with just higher level of intelligence than is normal for their age group. It turns into some sort of uh, mind reading and, to a lesser extent, mind control abilities that they have, so that they are actually... And as they get uh, older, they kind of get meaner, cause a couple of, you know, forced suicides to occur. And eventually the town turns on them. And uh, things play out as they do. I don't know how spoiler we want to get in our initial description, but eventually they try to blow the blow them up. Mm-hmm. So. so you say wigs, but actually most of the children had their hair peroxided into bright blonde. That was, their not, that was real hair? Some of them, yeah. Not all of them. It it looked uh, like they were all wearing wigs to uh, me. The main girl, uh, that was her real hair. Uh, David, the kid who uh, sort of learns to become human by the end, his yeah. was natural. Uh, the girl with the eye patch, her hair was natural. So they have to walk around just looking like that from that point on. Well, I mean, just for the shoot. And I'm sure they went back to their natural hair color. 
It wasn't just the color that was the problem, though. <laughs> I just had weird hair. It was very yeah. strange. It I just, uh, watched the making of after I got done on the very awesome uh, Screen Factory Blu-ray, and they interview all of, like pretty much the like the main set of kids. Yeah, and so they were talking about one of them. She had like super dark brown hair, so they had to like do all kinds of stuff to it. To the point that her hair started falling out because they were like trying to do uh, hot oil treatments or, or something else. Like it was some nonsense. Well, at least this movie was a huge blockbuster that made billions of dollars <laughs> at the box office, so it was worth it, right? Totally. This movie has a terrible, terrible reputation. People mm-hmm. think it's terrible. I think it's like a really bad movie, and I'm not. I was trying to think about that while I watched it. I was trying to think of why that is. And I think maybe part of it is just the casting. I don't think people will ever be able to see Christopher Reeve and Mark Hamill in movies and not think of them as their their most famous characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not their fault. It's just how it is. I think part of the problem is this. it's not a bad movie, but it's also not a really good movie. And in, we're, you know, if we're talking about John Carpenter's fucking catalog... <laughs> It's, well, it's going up yeah. against a big swing in these, like yeah. It, it, for horror fans, I think definitely you're getting that thing where you've got all your John Carpenter movies on your shelf in a row, and you're just like, well, look at how good some of these are. So the ones that aren't great, it's really problematic. Because even John Carpenter's lesser-known movies tend to be very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other issue that this movie has is it has that John Carpenter camp to it. Uh, and sometimes that camp can take, like, in, in a somewhat serious story, that camp can be enjoyable. I'm thinking about, like, Vampires, for example, which is, like, basically a serious movie, but with James Woods in the lead, it can't quite be entirely serious, and it has a little bit of lightheartedness just mixed in. Um, and I don't know that that works with this story, because... I mean, first of all, it's based on an original movie which had little to no camp in it. And second of all, you end up having somebody blow up small children in the movie. You don't necessarily want a campy feel to a movie where that happens. Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, Carpenter's got his his eye for genre, is what I would call it, because that's pretty much what he does. Yeah. And... In this case, he kind of took a movie and was like, all right, well, this is not a incredibly well-received old movie, but I, I want to keep all those aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> the it, there was nobody over his shoulder going, John, don't, don't fucking do that. <laughs> they do talk about a lot, of, a lot of these things you guys are bringing up in the making of. Oh, really? Okay. So... This movie, John Carpenter fully admits, is an assignment movie. It's not something he was super crazy excited to do, but apparently he had a Universal movie left on his contract, and so they were trying to get him to to get that taken care of so they could be not free, but just so they have their obligation taken care of so there's not something just sort of hanging between them. Uh, and what he really wanted to do was uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon remake, Okay, and they're like, okay, that that's something we can work on, 
Uh, but we have to do this Village of the Damned remake. So we can do a trade, like you do that, you do the Village of the Damned remake, and then we'll we'll move forward on a Creature from the Black Lagoon remake. So it's sort of like, oh, okay. So he admits this was not like a passion project. Like he was not super in love with it. But he did know the original movie and was like, okay, yeah, I could probably make something out of this. Um, did cast Christopher Reeve and Mark Hamill. And he said, maybe I didn't, you know, he didn't see any problem with sort of their typecasting stuff. He just thought they were both amazing actors and wanted them to be in the movie. He's like, maybe that played a role in why it didn't do very well. I definitely think mainstream audiences will never be able to accept those actors as anything else. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's a tribute to how good they are in, in as Superman and as Luke Skywalker. Um, but it's also probably something that bugged the shit out of both of them the rest of their lives. And, and I do think, okay, Christopher Reeve is the town doctor and he looks and feels like a town doctor. If you didn't know he was Superman, there'd be no problem with it. I think Mark Hamill is miscast. Um, so I guess he'd have been 44 when this movie was made based on what we learned in the last movie. Um, and he doesn't feel 44. And that's probably most actors would love to hear that you look like you're in your late 20s when you're 44. But in this particular role, I think you want him to be like an older, like wiser priest guy and somebody who's got a lot of life experience under his belt and he doesn't come across that way. And a lot of that is just because he looks so much younger than he is. And, you know, he kind of has that, that aura of being a younger guy, which again, isn't bad. It's just maybe not suited to the role they gave him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you guys die a little inside every time you see a Christopher Reeves movie? Well, I was going to bring up that uh, this actually is the last movie that was completed before his accident. Ugh. So this is sort of the movie he went out on with. Makes it, makes it worse. It hurts, it hurts me. <laughs> uh, but I, I think he, his performance is good in the I don't think yeah. anything he. I don't think he. Christopher Reeve does anything wrong in this movie. No. He if, does a great job. If you just didn't know who he was and you saw this movie, you'd have no complaints. Uh, do you guys know who Thomas Decker is? Yes. He was. He was, uh, he was in, in like the Sarah Connor Chronicles and the stupid Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that plays David, the little, the little oh, kid okay. that gets sympathy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I only noticed that because I watched the making of and, you know, they interview him. So I was just like, holy shit, that is him. In um, retrospect, I saw his name in the credits and I was like, who wonder who he played? And I was going to look it up and I never did. <laughs> um, so apparently one of the stories he tells is he hadn't seen the Superman movies at that point. So all the other kids were like, oh my God, Superman, Superman. And he didn't, you know, didn't have any connection to that so he just didn't bug him about being superman okay and so he said it seemed like christopher reeve enjoyed spending more time with him than the other children because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to be superman while he was talking to him that's kind of funny um and then yeah apparently uh, from what people said universal then took the movie after they were done and just chopped the shit out of it so there's like a couple of subplots that were just taken out 
Okay. And all this other stuff, and all the actors were really bummed because they think it definitely hurt the movie. Well, I'd be curious because I think this movie would work better if we got to know all the townspeople a little more. And, like, not all the townspeople, but some of them, some of the main characters, if we, like, were more invested in them. Because mm-hmm. specifically when, like, the doctor's wife, she's basically killed off pretty early on. But, like, it's a suicide scene. It takes place on, like, she basically wanders off a cliff, and we realize that we're told from the camera the way that it's shot that she's being controlled by her own child that should be devastating and it's not really and i think the reason it's not is because we don't really care about that character very much at that point Mm -hmm. which even that that actress brought that up during some of the things so yeah that definitely affected it because yeah i definitely think like if you had spent more time with those women during their pregnancies and stuff and we'd gotten to know them i think then there would have been more impact when the deaths happened. Yeah. yeah. Which I actually thought was an interesting point too. John Carpenter brings up that the original movie took the viewpoint of the father in, of the children um, from, you know, all, you know, these kids are attacking this town, but it's from the male viewpoint. And he actually wanted to flip it. So it'd be more from like the mother's viewpoint and kind of see how that is. Like, you give birth to these children and they all turn out to be terrifying and horrible. Well, considering the nature of the movie and the fact that, okay, first of all, the women have a biological connection to the children, but none of the fathers do. That's pretty clear yeah. pretty early on. We're told that they're all kind of like siblings as, and obviously they come from the different mothers. So we know that the father must be the one that's connecting them. It's never fully explained what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the women are the ones with the, that biological connection, and also the women are the ones that physically carry that baby for nine months. So I don't mm-hmm. when that baby comes out and is inherently evil from day one, um, <laughs> that's got to be a little bit more impactful on them, I would think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there there aren't a lot of movies on the planet that I would say would be better in a miniseries format instead of as a film. Mm-hmm. But I think this is one. It kind of, you, uh, Doug's right. You need to spend more time with more characters. Like, Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, like that, that's an interesting idea. If you had like the opening episode is the event where everybody passes out. And then like episode two is them all finding out they're pregnant and piecing together that it all came on the same day. You know, I don't know if you're at like if you if you're like an eight part thing where episode where you get a couple of different episodes where they're going through the pregnancies and maybe all hitting the same stages on the same time and stuff that could be very interesting. Mm-hmm. So maybe next time they remake this, that's what they'll do. Who knows? Because <laughs> yeah. I would argue one of the biggest complaints about this movie that d- despite the fact that you've got a few really really good fucking actors in it doing very good performances, this feels like a made for TV movie. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the pacing of it is, it reminds me of TV pacing, you know, like, tell a piece of a story, stop, go to commercial, come back, and it's a year later in TV time, you tell another little piece of the story, stop, come back to it, and that is problematic, to say the least, Um, and I don't think that's, like, that's not on, I don't think, that's on the editing, I don't think that's a problem with the directing or the acting, 
probably not with the writing either. Um, if if there were whole subplots that were removed, that problem happens at the studio level, right? Yeah, because yeah, uh, it sounds like at this point, at this time at Universal, that they were kind of doing this to a lot of movies where they would just, it would be done and they would basically just take and run off with it and then chop it up and then the director usually was like, well, but that's not exactly what I wanted. Basically, you know, they would like, swoop in and be like, but we have focus groups. Yeah. yeah. So it's, And it's 95, right? So this is before director's editions of movies was really a common thing. Mm -hmm. So you would, you know, whatever the studio decided to put in theaters, that got dumped on VHS later, and that's it. Yeah, um, pretty much. So, it, yeah, I mean, this movie is not great. I don't think it's terrible. Um, but I can understand why, like, especially a mainstream audience that doesn't doesn't inherently like these actors, that doesn't get behind everything John Carpenter does almost automatically. I can see why those people would be like, well, the pacing's weird, and the... I don't know, again, like... So Mark Hamill is, like, the priest guy. Like, he goes from being the priest to wanting to shoot these kids, and it's like... We need to spend more time with him. We need to have him give him some dialogue that explains that transition a little better rather than just because normally a, a priest who thinks kids are evil probably tries to help them rather than tries to shoot them. I think we can all, I, at least for, at least in, at least in made up storytelling, priests are good people. And therefore we can go ahead and assume that you would not want to murder children. I was going to say, and this this movie falls into a, a big trap that lots of movies fall into, and that's it's, it's not very easy to find kid actors that like really pull stuff off. And in this case, you need kid actors that are fucking just menacing. Yeah. And even the main girl, who's she's not bad, she doesn't come off menacing, she comes off bitchy. Like... Yeah. And, and they're murdering people. Like, they're straight up, they, they murder a whole bunch of people in this movie, and they're still not menacing, which I don't, that's a that's just a failure of a film. But I, I still like the movie, but it's just weak. Yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, like, when she has that scene where she's like, there's going to be some changes, we're going to go live in the barn, and you're going to bring us supplies, and I think one of the parents says something like, well, I'm not going to allow that. They're like, we weren't given a choice. It does sound like a bratty little kid saying those things. Like, I'm going to go outside and play. Well, you're not allowed outside. Well, I didn't ask you. Like, it's that's how it comes across a little bit more than just. Right. When it should come off as, uh, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to force you to boil your fucking arm. Yeah. <laughs> that scene is pretty fucking cool when she forces yeah. someone to boil her own arm. My favorite yeah. moment in that scene is when the the other parent shows up and pulls her arm out and she like fights to put it back in. That scene was very effective. Apparently that was her audition scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, not, not the scene they used in the movie, but uh, like when they were, because apparently she was cast as like a reporter and they hadn't cast the doctor's wife yet. Okay. And then uh, they were like, they, pretend to put your arm in a bucket and scream. <laughs> I think they ended up uh, dropping the reporter character completely, and they're like, "But she's a really good actress. Maybe we should just give her the 
the doctor's wife role and so then they had her do that scene and apparently she did it so well she had like bruises and shit all over her arms and stuff the next day and uh they liked her so much that they just were like all right well let's cast her and then they just sent like a note to universal like hey we're casting uh this lady and apparently because you could tell she's kind of got like an is it like an asian vibe to her somewhere um well apparently her name is not doesn't give that away okay so universal just kind of like eh, sure fine whatever and then when they got the first set of dailies back, they like freaked out because they were uh, interracial, uh, in, couple? interracial couple. But John Carpenter was just like, "Yeah, fuck it, too late." And so then, but then the more dailies that came in, they really enjoyed her performance. So they kind of just backed that's, off on it. That's weird, though. Ninety-five. That was still what an, an interracial couple. Yeah. And the movie's set in, like, California, too, where there's a significant Asian population, so I assume <laughs> that there's a lot of, you know, white and Asian intermarrying, and I, I, probably not a big deal to most of the people out there. Yeah. That's funny. It was weird. Yes, this is actually, like, the second time I've seen this movie. I saw and I ended up enjoying it way more this time, but That's uh, the same I saw yeah, I saw it when it like when it was in theaters, but me and then my ex girlfriend went and saw it, and we were so bored we just talked throughout the entire thing to each other, and pissed everybody else off, and now I pissed myself off. I'm just like, oh, that was fucking terrible. <laughs> but then also she kept putting my hand up on her shirt, so nice. I was six. I was sixteen, so I really was not paying attention to this movie whatsoever. <laughs> I like how you just use this as a way to humble brag when I touched a boob 25 years ago. Oh, totally. Especially during this movie. <sighs> so so in the, the Carpenter lexicon, where would you guys put this on the shelf? Because I, I find the, the funny thing is, once again, this is a passable movie, but I'm having a hard time thinking of a Carpenter film that I wouldn't rather watch. Uh, I would not rather watch The Ward. The Ward is t- objectively bad. Okay. It's all uh, uh, you guys have heard my story about The Ward, right? Like, went to the world premiere in Toronto, drove up there, waited till midnight to watch it, watched it, then it was bad. <laughs> then I'm like, well, that, well, that sucks. <laughs> then I had, like, a three-hour drive home at, like, from 2 a.m. till 5 a.m. Like, oh, just think about how that movie was bad the whole drive home. I was alone in the car. You're like, I had to go. I I went to the world <laughs> premiere of the one John Carpenter movie that's not decent. It's literally like I'm I'm calling up the IMDb right now to look through and see if there's any other ones that I legitimately don't like, and I don't think there are any other ones on his list. I haven't seen Elvis yet. We're going to be getting to that one soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of Dark Star, but it is like his first like student film, and it's not terrible. Yeah, it's not. It's not terrible. And like even so Prince of Darkness, I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't like it, but I've watched it probably five times at this point, and I think every time I watch it I like it more. I would definitely agree with that. I find a lot of um 
John Carmer's. I don't like Escape from L.A. That's the other one I don't like, but I know that that's controversial. Yeah, but yeah, um, you're wrong. I, I think I think a lot of John Carpenter's movies, um, you know, even they live, uh, Prince of Darkness, all those types of movies. That, that that whole era, In the Mouth of Madness, is probably the best example. It's like they came out at a time when we were all young, and there are maybe more adult movies than. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, you know, you kind of you go back and you watch them again with a slightly more sophisticated eye and you start to go oh yeah like i see what's going on in this movie now and it's really good compared to at the time where you're just like oh there's a little bit too much talking and not quite enough people stabbing each other in this movie i think they they live is the funniest one because over the years of watching it at different ages i just i love it at exactly the same level but for completely different fucking reasons yeah <laughs> Like, because I remember seeing it whenever I was fairly young and being like, yeah, Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah, punch that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely remember, like, in, like, the late 80s watching it and thinking of that. And then years later, like, thinking back to the movie. And this is, like, you know, again, back when in order to watch it again, I would have had to get up and go to a store to rent it again. So you just think about movies and you're just going off your memory. And I'm like... I'm pretty sure there was a lot of social commentary built into that that I did not understand as a child. <laughs> and it's like, it started to be so like when I finally got around to rewatching it, um, it was just one of those things where like, oh, well, yeah. It's like it's it might as, well been, might as well have been called social commentary of the movie. Yeah, like this is really, it's almost like there's Roddy Piper in the social commentary movie and not the other way around. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyways. We're, the, we're on a tangent. That's not the movie we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Not really. Somebody mentioned it. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Alright, anything else before we move on? Nope. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if we have to finish off our discussion of Village of the Damned, I would say people should probably watch it if they're John Carpenter fans. I think there's enough in there that you'll enjoy. Um, I definitely think the movie is not his best work and I don't know how much of that is his fault and how much of that is the fault of the studio, but it it just lacks something. I think the main yeah. thing it lacks is characters that we can really get involved with. Which maybe I, I mean, in all honesty, now that I'm saying it out loud, that's probably not John Carpenter's fault because he certainly is within his style to spend a lot more time just developing things and developing the world and lingering you know, with characters. Um, whereas studio films don't like to do that. They just want the next thing to blow up. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. That cat, that cat needs to chill the fuck out. <laughs> Did you explain to the cat? I tried. Problem. Maybe it just doesn't understand. I don't think it speaks English. Is it one of those illegal immigrant cats? It is. Immigrant cat.
government to come take it. Build a wall around it. Send it back to Cambodia. So, Doug, is your kid, like, old enough to appreciate what Christmas is all about? He's getting it. Um, he is able to look at presents now and understand that they're for other people, and he seems to be happy that other people are getting presents. Still keeps that's looking good. for his own as well. <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah, I have a nephew that kind of is just like, oh, I'm going to open all these presents. And it's like, but those aren't yours, buddy. And then he gets really mad. My kid started, and I, like, the one he got ripped a bit, and I was like, no, and I explained it to him, and I showed him the name tags and explained it to him, and he seemed to get it, and then he tried to open another one, and then I said, look, if, if you're not old enough to be around the presents, I'll take the presents away and put them somewhere else until Christmas, and he didn't like that idea, so he hasn't touched them since. Oh, smart kid. He has surprisingly good reasoning skills. Which makes it really frustrating when he does something wrong because you know he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so do you look at him and you're just like, Lando, you're just being a dick. Kinda. <laughs> Your girlfriend's like, Doug, stop it. Yeah, sort of. She doesn't like it when I call him Lando. She doesn't like it when I call him a dick. <laughs> it's very problematic. <laughs> Uh, I'm just happy that me and Scott were were almost right. <laughs> we got the L part right. We got the we got the franchise correct. Yeah, you, you narrowed it down pretty good. I don't think I'd given you much information to work with. No. Listen, uh, probably my favorite joke in the last horror cast, which is the first time you could hear him crying on the podcast and you just went, Hey folks, we'd like to welcome Lando to the show. <laughs> it was worth doing a year of that podcast just so that we can have a joke. Uh, all right. Uh, well, should we, should we talk about, should we talk about the Hellboy trailer? Oh, do we have yeah. to? Ooh. So, a new Hellboy trailer came out. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm still on the fence about it. Noah, how do you feel about it? Uh, it looks pretty good. And Doug, how do you feel about it? It looks like they went out and got a lesser actor, a lesser director, and then tried to remake a movie that is still too new to be remade. It reminds me exactly of what happened when they rebooted Spider-Man, and they went, and instead of doing something different with the character so that it could coexist with the previous movie. They're trying to replace the previous movie and they will fail miserably. I'm very unhappy. That's kind of where I'm leaning as well. I, they said they were going to go darker and more horror oriented with it. Great. Mm. That way it'll be something different from the Del Toro films. Awesome. That's a really good idea. Then they didn't do that, apparently. Well, I don't, I don't know if they didn't do that because the that trailer does not give you a whole lot. Well, that trailer makes it pretty clear what tones are going for. And the tone is shittier version of the Del Toro movie. So that's that shouldn't be your goal. Yeah, I'm just hoping it's Lionsgate is like, well, this is what people expect from a Hellboy movie. So that's the kind of trailer we need to make. See, I almost think that's exactly what they did. I'm hoping the movie's closer to what they said, because if not, they should have just made Hellboy 3 with Ron Perlman. Yeah. 
I mean, I I can't conceive of why you would reboot a series and then not do something completely different with it. Mm. So, because I like David Harbor from uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, he's a good he's a good choice for Hellboy. Sure. Um, yeah, but just from that trailer, I just don't get that it's different enough for them to. Because from what I heard, they had a meeting about doing Hellboy 3, and then it was Mignola who didn't want to do it because he wanted to go darker with it, as you stated. And everything, and so then they parted ways. And then this trailer just makes it look like they were just like, nah, let's just... Now that Del Toro's gone, let's just do a Del Toro style anyway. But not succeed at it. I'm hoping I'm wrong. But I don't know. Uh, we'll see when when more footage becomes available and we can see more of the performance from uh, mm. what's his name there, the main actor. Like, yeah, well, I'm not completely close to the idea that this could be good. But yeah. it's if it if they don't do something to convince me that they're doing a different take on Hellboy, then I'm not interested in watching somebody else try to do Del Toro's Hellboy. Yeah, the the only portrayal that I. I thought I saw a glimmer of in the trailer that might be an improvement is in the comic books, Hellboy's a little uh, broodier. Like, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's a less happy character. He's Yeah. If, if that makes sense. And I think it seems like in this trailer they're kind of going that way instead of, oh, he's got this loving dad and he's this happy monster that wants to save everybody. Yeah. yeah I, no, I, I just didn't get that impression from the trailer. It's, the trailer hit us differently, I suppose. You don't think so? I thought just just a couple little glimmers of it, like whenever he's looking at the gun and he's like, you know, some some parents get their kids Legos, <laughs> or whenever he gets out of the truck and one of the FBI guy basically fucking shoots at him, <laughs> and you can tell he's like. No, it's it wasn't as much of a joke. It was more he was like legit upset that they just shot at. Uh, see, I, that's not again. We're we're just seeing it differently. Okay. Uh, I I felt like he was just doing a Ron Perlman impression at that point. Thought he reacted exactly the way Ron Perlman's version of Hellboy would have reacted. Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I guess at the most, I'll say I'm underwhelmed by this trailer. I'm hoping, uh, hoping the next trailer maybe will show more of what the intention, I guess, is. And then if it's still sort of the same tone, then I will call shenanigans. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, based if this was the only information I had was this trailer, I would not see the movie. Which is not, like, I've been waiting for the new Hellboy. I've been excited for it. So for them to put out a trailer that makes me go all the way to not wanting to see it is actually really disappointing. Yeah, they're going to have to make a really, 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 really shitty Hellboy movie to stop me from going to see a Hellboy movie. It's going to have to be really bad. I'm kind of at that point too. Like, I'm I'm definitely going to go see it. Just, I hope I walk out of the theater not disappointed because then I might not go see the next one. But, yeah. I mean, if I understand correctly, Officer Johnson is in this movie. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough to get me to go. Wait for a ticket. 
Now, if they tell me there's Lobster Johnson and then they edit Lobster Johnson out of the movie and I pay for that ticket, I'm going to be real fucking mad about it. <laughs> All right. Anybody seen anything uh, since last week? Uh, I did check out uh, the Christmas Chronicles. Oh, yeah? I liked it. Yeah. It's fun enough. That's the way I am, too. I mean, Kurt Russell is a, is a Santa Claus. I mean, you can't really go wrong. It's not going to be your favorite movie, but you're not going to walk away like, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah, I, I think my only the only part of the entire movie where I kind of like rolled my fucking eyes was the jailhouse uh, music number. Yeah, I can see that. In which it wasn't really that there was a jailhouse music number. It was that it went on for way too fucking long. <laughs> that sounds pretty that. problematic to me. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty confident that would annoy me. <laughs> yeah, way too long. But, but, but besides that, I mean, I think they did they did all the things that I like in a Christmas music, uh, a Christmas movie, and they did it in a non-obnoxious uh, secular way. I don't know. I just dig that kind of stuff. It was chill. It's a chill one. It's got a decent message. <laughs> yeah. Is it, like, is it like you should be nice to people? Is that the message? Or... You know, it's more like a message of like, you know, appreciate your family more. Like, it's um, standard, standard ass Christmas message. But Yeah. They convey it through the uh, through the movie, yeah. Without it being like like Noah said about the jailhouse musical number, you don't roll your eyes so hard you almost get them stuck in the back of your head. Right. They kind of wrap up the movie, and you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and I do like the way they handle the uh, the Santa Claus issue throughout the movie. Know, where pretty much everybody knows that there's a Santa Claus. They just don't necessarily believe that he is the actual Santa Claus. <laughs> Which, that's an interesting world to set the movie in, where you're like, no, no, everybody knows that there's a Santa Claus. Like, But you're not him, is that the idea? Yeah, like like presents, there's presents magically under everybody's tree every year. There's, there's a fucking Santa Claus. <laughs> Yeah, they don't ever sort of question like how that works. It's just press pres show up. The parents. I mean, there's there's not even like an exposition or anything. It's just yeah. Apparently, sometimes there's presents that show up under the tree that nobody really knows where they came from, and nobody really questions it. That's what I'm saying. Because in other movies where nobody believes that there's a Santa Claus, if there's a dude breaking into your house, leaving fucking presents under the tree, the parents are gonna fucking notice. Because if they're the ones fucking putting the rest of the shit there, they're going to be like, I didn't fucking buy that. Oh, spoiler alert. Put this shit. Spoiler alert. You don't just announce there's no Santa right on the podcast. Give up. Oh, no. I will I will shout it from the mountaintops. I, I believe am, I am firmly against people telling their, their children that there is a Santa Claus. I believe there are many people that are probably listening to this podcast with their children right now. And <laughs> I hope so. Children. We, we there is no Santa Claus. Children. Your parents have lied to you, and they were bastards. Take your vengeance. Rise up. 
slay them and take their throne. <laughs> Don't teach the kids that because then they'll all kill their parents and be like, shit, who bought all the food before? Was that <laughs> right. a thing? Or... Noah's trying to gather up his own children of the corn. Yeah. Even like the elves are a little weird. Mm-hmm. But I thought they were fun. Yeah. I, I dig it. Me too. Then now uh, it's up to Doug this week. I'll see what I can do. And then I watched uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 because it's garbage day! <laughs> and plus, if you watch two, you get to watch one as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much like watching one. You just get jump. You get it jumping. <laughs> And then I found a trailer for a new Christmas horror movie that I've never seen before that I'm going to have to check out. Which one? Which is? A little foreign. The one that I sent you guys the trailer for that nobody ever said. Oh. oh. Yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, I just I just heard of that movie this year. It's not new. It's old, but it's French, so we didn't know about it back in the day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's supposed to be kind of Home alone but Yeah, uh, it's called uh, Dial Code Santa Claus. Yeah. I've been Which, thinking, about, thinking about watching it myself. There's, and then I just haven't. So after I heard of it, I started reading stuff about it, and apparently, a lot of people say pretty much Home Alone. They kind of ripped off of this slasher movie, which is sort of awesome. Which is funny because everybody, for years and years later, we're all saying, you know what, they should make Home Alone into a slasher movie. Well, apparently, it was backwards. <laughs> Uh, which has anybody watched the uh, Google Assistant trailer that Macaulay Culkin came back to play Kevin McAllister again? No, I'm, I'm refusing to watch it until somebody edits in the Gremlins. <laughs> Official stance. Yeah, yeah. Laura posted it in the uh, in the Midnight Drive-In group. Uh, yeah, and it's Kevin McAllister at home, pretty much recreating all the iconic scenes from Home Alone. You know, I'm kind of happy that Macaulay Culkin has just sort of embraced that. Yeah, I'm I'm the Home Alone kid. Yep. So he he's just sort of embraced it. He's perfectly fine with it. He did this. Apparently, he was like at an independent wrestling match like last year. Oh yeah. And uh, helped the good guy win by throwing a bucket full of micro machines into the ring. Yeah. So the bad he, guy uh... slipped and fell. If you watch that whole uh, that whole clip, he uses several Home Alone like techniques to help win that match, and it is fun as hell. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's not good. It's just funny to watch because it's Kevin. Oh, Kevin yeah. doing Home Alone. I'm just happy that uh, he doesn't look like he's getting ready to fucking die of something anymore. Yeah, there's also that. <laughs> he really just got a haircut, though. That's all that changed. Yeah, what the fuck? Seriously, like, what the fuck was wrong? Because he spent years making himself look appropriate for our Home Alone Gremlins crossover. <laughs> and now he's just been forced to accept that they're probably not going to make that because they're rebooting Gremlins. So he's just like, fuck it. I guess I'll go back to looking like a human being again. I mean, I suppose we could transition it into uh, Kevin McAllister into Leprechauns. Ooh. I don't. I just don't think yeah. it works as well. I mean, it doesn't work as well, but take what you can get. Maybe Critters, Critter Seven. 
Critter's feet can <laughs> <laughs> Critter's like, he, that could work. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, man. See? It's all coming together. Finally going to get our Home Alone versus Gremlin slash Critters slash Leprechauns at some point. <laughs> Knowing our luck is the Home Alone versus the Ghoulies, we'll all be upset about it. <sighs> Not just the ghoulies, <laughs> ghoulies at college. Yeah! <laughs> Fucking ghoulies at college. Uh, Doug's, Doug's least favorite movie. Kevin, Kevin McAllister just gets flushed down a toilet somehow. <laughs> I wouldn't know because I would not see that movie, just so we're clear. <laughs> things I refuse to do is watch anything that involves the ghoulies going to college. Uh, do you watch anything else now? Uh, no, I, that's all I had time for. <laughs> uh, what about you, Doug? Uh, let's see. First thing I did was uh, I finally got around to a movie that I've been debating whether or not to watch for a long time, which is uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that one? Oh, yeah. I have. We ran into some of our uh, uh, double features back oh, yeah. the day. Yeah. I'd be curious what else you could possibly team up with this movie. (laughs) The funny thing is, I think one of them, oh, what the fuck was that? There was like bikini, there was like a series of movies called like Bikini Bloodbath something, which (laughs) were were terrible. Uh, But they made a Christmas one, and the filmmaker let us run it at a double feature. So we teamed up Santa Conquers the Martians with Bikini Bloodbath Christmas. All right. And there was some awesome people that brought their kids to watch Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, but had to sit through Bikini Bloodbath Christmas first. Poor guys. <laughs> but they didn't leave. So oh, I gave no. them credit. I'm just like, well, good for you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what I was supposed to say about this movie. It's literally a movie for people who haven't seen it about Martians kidnapping Santa. Um, because they want to make their kids happier on Mars, and they figure <laughs> they're watching Earth from afar. They all the kids on Mars watch Earth TV, <laughs> and they're just like, "Well, that that guy seems to bring presents to kids, and it makes them pretty happy. Let's kidnap him and bring him to Mars." And that's your plot. Some of the Martians don't like it because they're worried that the kids will become too kid-like and not serious enough. So they try to. At one point, they literally tried to just sabotage Santa's Martian toy factory so that everyone will not respect Santa anymore and he'll go home. <laughs> Which is... I can't fucking believe that's a plot point in this movie that's like Batman 66 level of campy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I One thing I can't understand is, like, I know this isn't a high-budget thing. I know it's the 60s special effects are not where they were today. But if you're going to paint some of your actors green, you got to either keep them green the whole movie or not paint them green at all. <laughs> that level of green can't fluctuate the way it does in this movie. That's unacceptable. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. The movie's fucking batshit insane. And I think that's what they were trying to do, so mission accomplished. Seems like it. Um, I will say when we used to show at the double features, people would sing along to the end song. Really? Which we always liked. We're like, oh, all these uh, Grindhouse Eve. Because, you know, we used to show some of the worst like horror movies. 
and people loved it. So he, uh, you know, they would just start singing along to this movie. I'm like, oh, that's nice. It's kind of cute. <laughs> I, don't know. I guess I can understand why this movie is like a, a classic for people who saw it when they were kids and probably wouldn't have, you know, analyzed it in any way and they would have just gone with, okay, there's Martians and they watch mm-hmm. Earth TV for some reason because they have a whole society, but they haven't developed their own television shows. And then somehow Santa's just like, again, it's a weird world where Santa's just real and everybody's fine with that. And he's like, they know where he's physically located. <laughs> It's like, and, and you know, um, have you yeah. watched Have you watched Santa, the Mexican movie? No. It's Santa Claus versus the Devil. Okay. <laughs> it's probably made a couple years after after Santa Claus conquers the Martians. I would recommend watching the Mystery Science Theater episode of it because that probably helps. I'll look into that. We'll see. There's only a few days left till Christmas as we record this, so my window for watching Christmas movies is fading. <laughs> um, let's see. What else did I watch? So then I, I found a movie on Amazon Prime called You Were Never Really Here, mm-hmm. which stars Joaquin Phoenix as like a crazy badass character, and I thought, let's find out if he can do that, because he's one of 12 people scheduled to play the Joker soon. So I thought, I want to know how he's going to do. Um, basic plot of the movie is, well, basic plot, also the entire plot, because there's no twists or turns in this movie whatsoever. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays this tired military guy who now tracks down missing kids for a living. He is sent in to find the daughter of like a senator or something like that. He's been kidnapped. She's in like a child sex ring type situation. He goes in, saves her. Um, some cops show up and basically basically try to kill him and take her back. Turns out there's like a big conspiracy. They kill the dad as well. And he goes and saves her again. But this time he's much more violent about it. Um, so that's your whole plot. There's no real twists or turns to it. There's no kind of mystery element to it. Like Everything is kind of just told to us as it goes along. Um, I don't know. The movie didn't really work for me mm-hmm. because it is a little too pretentious and artsy for my taste. Um, I think it's essentially a movie that's all about the violence and the brutality but way too much of it is shot in like air quotes, clever ways. Like they, at one point he's going through a house and instead of us following him, we see the like the uh, security cam footage of it. And it's like, okay, well that's kind of a neat little thing, but you know, at some point you're going to show us all the real violence, right? And they never really get around to that. Every time there's supposed to be some big violent moment, they find a new clever way of editing around actually showing it to us. And like I say, the movie has no, the plot's not very detailed. There's no mystery element. So you're really there for the, the atmosphere and the violence. And then they kind of chicken out on the violence aspect of it. And the atmosphere is okay, but they rely way too heavily on their score. They think that the best way to tell us how to feel in a movie is by playing music. And it's like, 
my opinion, the best scores are the ones that you don't spend a lot of time talking about. So, I don't know. Good performance, but not not really a good movie in my opinion. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend your time on it. Mm. So it's been on my list to watch. So that bums me out. Yeah, I mean, I, and I can't say like maybe other people would enjoy it, but it was for me. It was just I think the score was part of one of the biggest problems. Is it was just way too much of it, and just I don't know, too many scenes of like. Oh look, there's a body there, and then we see Joaquin Phoenix walking away, and you're like, "Oh, he just killed that guy." Bitch, that would have been cool to watch. <laughs> like, she would, she would have done that on camera. Maybe I'll just hold out for John Wick Chapter Three. Yeah, I mean, there's no footage of that available yet, is there? Uh, no, but there's been some set pictures. Okay, apparently Halle Berry's in it. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that that whole series is just the concept that it exists is weird to me. So I'm glad it exists. <laughs> it shouldn't work, but it somehow does. Uh, and then, so let's see, where did I go from there? Oh, this is when I started getting deep into my Christmas movie watch. So my two favorite Christmas movies are two of my top three favorite Christmas movies are Die Hard and Miracle on 34th Street, naturally. Uh, Did you watch Die Hard on 34th Street? No, no, I watched Uh, each movie individually. I figured somehow they merged them together into one ultimate movie. I actually watched like half of Die Hard and then I kind of fell asleep. So then I watched Miracle on 34th Street and then I watched the other half of Die Hard. So I sort of merged them together. There you go. Um, but you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. They're both great movies. A little bit cheesy and heavy-handed on the uh, schmaltzy like holiday messages, but I still like them both. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I won't spend a lot of time talking about either one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've talked about Die Hard a hundred times, and I'm sure our listeners don't want to hear me talk about how like Miracle on 34th Street is cute. The only thing I'll say about Miracle on 34th Street is I have a lot more trouble watching it now because I've always liked it, and I've always really liked the tagline to the movie, which is like, uh, faith means believing in things when common sense tells you not to. And I've always thought that was a nice sentiment for a movie. And then it was only like, in, like during like the George Bush era when I realized, oh... People think you're supposed to live your life like that. Like people, th- people think that's a positive thing to believe in stuff when common sense tells you not to. Oh, I thought. I mean, I thought I mean, it's, it's nice in a movie about Santa Claus. It never occurred to me that so many people were around the world who were just like, "Yeah, we should do that for every day." Yeah, now we're living it twenty-four-seven. So, there you go. That's that's me bringing down our happy discussion. <laughs> Uh, is that it? Uh, one more. I watched right. a movie called Wolves at the Door. Ever heard of it? Uh, yeah, isn't this like a, an Italian movie? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a new movie, 2017. Um, and it is basically a retelling of the Manson murders. Um, oh, yeah, that's not the movie I was thinking of. So, I don't know how 
accurate it is. I'm reasonably confident it's not accurate. <laughs> but what it kind of does is it grabs like a stranger's vibe. So you've got the people in the house, you've got the people outside the house that are kind of stalking them. Uh, lots of lots of really good atmosphere in the movie. Um, there's like there's a character, and this is true to to the real story. There's a character in like the guest house who was there when like the murders happened and just didn't notice because he was listening to music too loud. <laughs> so there's some neat stuff with him where he's like, there's like stuff going on in the background and we're in the, in the guest house with him and you can see stuff out the window and then he looks out the window, but the guys are off to the side where you can't see him. And I thought a lot of the atmosphere worked really well. Um, it is a little weird to make a movie like this and kind of make it into a horror movie when you're dealing with a real life incident. Um, because there's actually at the end they actually cut to actual footage of Charles Manson and some of the family members and you're like it's a little weird that you just played this off like a basically like a strangers type movie and then now you're gonna show the real guys like you could have just made this change the character names basically and this would be a different story and then it would be okay to just is a horror movie. Mm. Um, yeah, overall, I thought the atmosphere worked quite well. None of the kills were particularly great. It's not really what the movie was going for. Um, to tie it back into our previous discussion, I think if there's a real complaint I have, it's that it, we don't spend enough time with any of the characters. So you don't, if all you know about the movie is the movie and you don't know who all these people are from the real story then you're not really going to feel much for them because they're you just kind of meet them the day of the murders and you don't you don't spend any time with them before that and they try a little bit at the beginning with playing up the fact that this is like a going away party for one of the characters and all that but I don't think it's I just don't think you spend enough time with those characters even in, even in slasher movies you tend to get a little bit of time getting to know everybody before you start killing them in this movie they kind of move straight into it because it's set just over the course of like two nights. Um, it's basically two break-ins and they don't spend any time outside of that. And you don't get to know the killers at all. I don't even think any of them use their names in the movie. So. Hmm. I actually think the killers in this case would probably be the more interesting story. Like I think if you're looking at the true story of the Manson murders, it's probably more interesting to look at it from the killer's perspective and get to know those people and why they did the crazy things they did. But it was an interesting take on a, a pretty well-known story, and like I said, the atmosphere worked pretty well. So, mm. And if you like home invasion movies, it sounds like it should be right up your, right up your I alley. I think so, yeah. like If you liked The Strangers, I think you'd probably enjoy this. But if you're a big fan of the Charles Manson story and like you like the true-life crime stuff, I wouldn't recommend this from that perspective. So yeah. take 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 them for what you will. It was on Netflix, so it's ostensibly free to watch to anybody who wants to. Yeah. Uh, Big Bad Wolves is what the movie I was thinking of. Which is that's is that an Israeli movie? Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's from Israel. Yeah. Apparently, Quentin Tarantino was a big fan of it, so they even have his quote like on the poster. It was actually quite a good movie. I saw it while back now 
I remember mm. quite enjoying it. It's if I remember correctly in that one, there's like a weird moment where like a father and son are bonding over torturing a guy, and I remember thinking that was kind of neat. But that might be a little off. Yeah, I uh, I still haven't seen it, but it's been on my sort of radar ever since Ted talked about it on Horror Etc. back in the day. Well, that would be when I saw it. That's when Ted read it to me, and I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. <clears throat> um, all right. So I watched a couple things, both of them Christmas-related. First up, I watched A Bad Mom's Christmas. Um, I don't know. There's something about the Bad Moms movie that I find really funny. I think it's that... Uh, What's her name? Uh, Catherine Hahn. I don't know. Whoever plays like the slutty white trash mom and bad moms, I think she's really funny. So they did a bad mom's Christmas where all the bad moms, actual or not actual, but the, all the bad mom's mothers show up for Christmas and wreak havoc on everybody. Uh, it's completely schmaltzy and just, uh, I don't know, is what it is, but. Still some laughs in there. So I enjoyed it well enough. Uh, the other movie I watched was Scrooge, which oh, yeah. I have not seen since I was a kid. Yeah. I remember it being funnier than it actually ended up being, but it was still enjoyable. For some reason, I think I remember like the Carol Kane stuff, like that tone being over more the movie. But that's not what happened. Like, it's fine. I still enjoyed it. I just remember watching it and being like, wait. I don't I don't remember it being this dark throughout the entire movie. But yeah. Basically, Bill Murray just redoing Christmas Carol. But he's a shitty television executive who just cares about ratings. And then course has to be reminded why Christmas is important and why he should care about all the people in his life so it's uh if you haven't seen it recommend it's a good thing to put on your Christmas list yeah I've only seen that movie once and it was as an adult and I remember thinking like I should have watched this in the 80s like (laughs) it's weird that's actually one that I used to watch every year for a real long time not anymore. You got tired of it. Uh, it got knocked out of the rotation by me adding a few new ones. Mm, Santa Slay. Well, Santa Slay, and uh, <laughs> now Krampus is in the rotation. Yeah, I'm trying not to watch my usual lineup this year, just because I want to add some more weird stuff in. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, Noah, do you want to tell us what we're doing next week? Uh, so I figured next week we need to get back to some uh, drive-in movies. So we're doing uh, Flash Gordon and Star uh, Crash. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for a whole podcast where you guys keep doing that. <laughs> Probably great. Kill myself. <laughs> for. That was my like text message notification for about two years, and some of my friends got so mad that they would like scream at me every time it would go off <laughs> to the point I had to change it. 
<laughs> Jesus. You got mean friends. Yeah. I disagree. I think they were being <laughs> rational in the circumstances. <laughs> so I'm seeing a post on Facebook that says 10 reasons why Rocky four is the most underrated Christmas movie of all time. I do not believe that Rocky four qualifies as a Christmas movie, but I'd like to hear the arguments. You don't think I don't so? Have idea. Here, let me, I'll go through the list. I'll just read off the headlines. Um, Number 10, it has that festive setting. And it has the picture of him with the log on his shoulders walking through the snow. Uh, number nine, the gift of freedom. Don't know what that means. Uh, number eight, it says crap presence, but it has the fucking robot. I yeah, would not I say that. that's a crap present. No, that robot is... I don't understand how you, anyone could get a robot and not be happy about it. Yeah. It's a robot that brings you drinks, too. <laughs> Probably the best kind of robot. I mean, even even in modern days, like, if this year I got a shitty 80s robot, still cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That robot, for whatever flaws it may or may not have, is still better than any robot that us or any one of the people that listening has their own. Oh, imagine if you got that robot today and it had like Alexa installed in it so you could actually ask the robot questions and it would talk to you. Yeah. Uh, Number seven, the fights. Sure. I don't know how that makes it a good Christmas movie, but whatever. I feel like this list might be bullshit. Probably. I'm starting to think that Uh, they think they're funny and I don't. That might be the situation we're in. Number six, poor little Polly. Alright. Why is it fuck? Why does that make it a Christmas movie? Uh let's see. Rocky's lumbering brother in law and friend is the brightest bulb in the box and not always that helpful to have around. But he's family, and family means something, especially at Christmas. Well, that's stupid. Uh, number five, finding out who's naughty and nice. And a picture of Drago in there. Four, that training montage. That doesn't make it a Christmas. Three, being together as family. Sure. The feel-good finish, number two. Wait, they keep and, talking about family here, but Rocky goes to Russia without his family in that movie. <laughs> and then later, his wife flies over there to meet him. And his kid's just at home by himself. <laughs> With a robot. Like every, Everybody who lives in that house over the age of 10 is in Russia by the end of the movie. And the nine-year-old is home by himself. Yeah. Yeah, this list is bullshit. Yeah, the number one, that post-fight feeling. You know that fold of the brim feeling you have inside your gut after a hefty Christmas dinner? That's probably how Rocky felt, in part, after that fight with Drago. Alright, so don't ever go to ultimateactionmovies.com because they have some really stupid lists. Yeah, I'm coming out actively against that. The only um, under-radar... you said. <laughs> the only under-the-radar one I could ever think of is I, I I put forth this argument. If Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then Maniac Cop 2 is also a Christmas movie. I have not seen Maniac Cop 2. 
It, I heard is, it, it, is, it has a Christmas setting. <laughs> Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because it has a Christmas setting, just so we're clear. Die Hard is literally, the plot of Die Hard is an estranged father wants to return to his family for Christmas. Along the way, he meets some new friends who seem different from him at first, but it turns out they have more in common than they think. He has to overcome several obstacles. And his closest new friend, he has to help that guy get past a problem that he's having in his life. That is exactly the plot of every fucking Christmas movie. And it happens. Hashtag, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Some people like to argue, though. I went to some holiday party a couple weeks ago and some conversation came up and I said something like, well, I mean, it's Christmas, so of course you got to watch Die Hard. To which then some a guy offhandedly just said, yeah, but it's not really a Christmas Christmas movie. Well, you repeat to him the plot description yeah. and you ask him, to, ask him to explain how that movie cannot be a Christmas movie. Well, you see, Doug, I'd have to talk to him again. And after that, I'm never talking to this guy again. I can understand that. Sometimes when people say the wrong thing. I was one time in a Walmart and I was looking at Christmas movies and a woman came up and she's like, oh, I love Christmas movies. And I'm like, yeah, me too, actually. And we were chatting briefly and she picked up a copy of Miracle on 34th Street. And she goes, oh, I don't know. I really prefer the remake. And I looked at her and I said, this conversation's over. And I walked away and I've never spoken to that lady again. (laughs) And I, like literally that Walmart lost my sales that day because they let that woman in their store. I put everything back and I just left. I was like, I can't be around you. <laughs> all, all I see is all the Christmas joy draining out of Doug and him just being like, cut. Did you just throw it? Did you just oh throw God. it on the ground? Oh, I, I should have hit her with it is what I should have done. She needed to learn a lesson. Let's take a classic movie and remake it. How can we make it even better? Let's put a Baldwin in it. That'll solve all the life's problems. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, that is not even the the Baldwin version isn't even the second like good version of that movie. It's the, it, there has there was actually a made for TV version of the movie in the fifties, which is better than the Baldwin version. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I just want to see Doug fist fighting a woman in the middle of like a Walmart because she said she liked the remake better. That's what I want for Christmas. Well, I doubt that that's going to happen again. So <laughs> no, I want you to build a time machine, go back in time, find that woman, and fight her. I, that seems like, like a lot of work. Like we must do battle, and then. <laughs> I like. I have to wait around the corner and wait for the other version of me to sneak off before I can come yeah. in, so we don't see each other. Hey, you can't fuck up the timeline. <laughs> this is a Back to the Future two type scenario, so yeah, you got to wait for yourself to get out the door. Like I show up and I'm wearing a slightly different helmet. She's like, "Didn't you just?" And I'm like, "Listen, I have a bone to pick with you." <laughs> oh, did we lose? Did we lose Noah? Noah, are you still here? Oh, he just sent a message saying, pretty sure a transformer just blew. Heard a loud bang of... Heard a loud bang of inch in the distance and the power went out? Jesus Christ, Noah, learn how to talk. Yeah. I think what we're all getting for Christmas is Noah not being involved in the last part of this conversation. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.